0: Hello, I'm Kenneth Kukie, a senior editor, and you're listening to The Economist Asks, our Thursday chat show. This week, we're asking, are we too dependent on big data? The proliferation of data, from market research to YouTube viewing figures, has heavily influenced how businesses, politicians, journalists, and everyone else tries to make sense of society and the world. I know this. I co-wrote a book about it. But there are some who argue that data analytics has become too dominant, that too much is overlooked when people are simply turned into numbers. Which brings me to my guest today. Christian Maspia is founder of the consulting company Red Associates in New York City, which applies sociology, philosophy, or the humanities writ large to contemporary business problems. And he joins me on the line from our New York studio. Christian, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, Christian My first question to you is, what is sense-making?
1: It's the ability to understand how other people experience something and synthesize that into something meaningful. So it's something that you do and I do every day, which is understanding culture around us. Some of that happens sort of below the threshold of awareness. Some of it happens above, most of it below. But it's the ability to simply understand other people.
0: Now, you apply this as a fix or a remedy to what you perceive as a problem of people applying data a
1: bit too much. Is that right? Yeah, or for the wrong things. So there are certain things that are very hard to study from a data science perspective, and it's sort of notoriously hard for the social sciences. And that is how we experience things. So if you are an automaker in, say, Detroit, then you want to understand what it's like to be a buyer of your first car ever in Shanghai or in Brazil or in Indonesia. So the ability to understand what other people might want and what their life is like is a key tool. And if you just count how many people do this or that, you might not get to the same richness of understanding that you would get if you spend some time with them and try to understand what their world is like.
0: Now, it seems as if the book is a polemic against data. Let me ask you, under what conditions are you totally happy and fine with applying data to the world's problems?
1: I am... A big fan of the new data sources that are coming out right now. I am very uncomfortable with the old style of market research where you ask people if they like this or that car or this or that uh, toothbrush. So that would be the surveys and focus groups of the world. What is really neat about the new types of data is they're they're based on actual activity. So they're based on sensor data, based on sales data, and so on. So basically, there's a whole new slew of data in that the social sciences can deal with but the problem is it doesn't have a proper process to it you know in Silicon Valley there's this idea that if you just have enough data truth will sort of fall out of it by itself and that's an old wrong idea Uh, what I'm saying is that you've got to have hypotheses to ask that data and those hypotheses need to come from the context of the people involved so if you just collect a lot of data and then hope that you'll learn much from it you don't understand science and that's what has been going on and that's one of the reasons why the big data revolution is sort of not doing so well right now
0: so can you give me some examples where this has gone on and
1: gone wrong on the YouTube platform, companies' ads were put next to videos that they found offensive because the big data engine couldn't figure out the context of what was going on and what was meaningful in the in the videos and why an advertiser wouldn't find that meaningful. So basically, a lot of the, the talk around the ad revolution online is based on this idea that you, through data, can find and be precise about your ads, yet this is a case where the ads came in a context that was just completely wrong, that any human could have seen, but the data couldn't see.
0: Okay, but I have to confess, I struggle to see this as a big problem. I see it as a small problem when you consider that you're taking a million advertisers and you're placing the advertisements that are relevant on a million different websites for millions of different people All in less than a second after an auction takes place, which has given rise to multiple billion-dollar companies. So in the context of something being extraordinary and mind-bogglingly complex yet working and making an efficient market, yeah, there's a problem. So it sounds like there's a small problem to a very big revolution.
1: I'm not so sure uh, how big that revolution is. I think there's been a migration from offline marketing to online marketing the last 10, 15 years. And I think the jury is still out how efficient that really is. A lot of the numbers are inflated. And you know when what happened here in this case was that the JP Morgan Chase company uh, took out their ads and had no impact. Uh, from that. The other side of it is the chief data office of the companies that I uh, talk to, they all say that we have made these heavy investments in data lakes and data systems, and the insights are not really coming out of it. So there's a sort of a sinking feeling right now in the big corporations of America. They're not getting what they thought they would get. And I think it's because they used the wrong methodology to understand what's going on in the data.
0: Well, in that respect, it sounds a little bit like the early days of computing, in which companies were pulling out their hair, wondering why they were replacing human people from doing things and adding computers. Uh, That was the refrain during the 1960s and 1970s. But by the 1980s and 90s, companies had experience to apply these technologies and started to do it well. Never perfectly. A human being can always maybe do some things better than than a machine would. But still, the machine helped them. So, can you help me categorize when you would want to rely on data and when you would want to rely on sense making?
1: I would rely on data when you deal with testing hypotheses. So, the testing of hypotheses should be happening with new the new data sets that we have access to now. The defining of the hypotheses, the creation of the hypotheses, should happen through what I call sense making, which is in context, understanding of how people experience products or services or the world in general. So it's a combination of the two, and I'm a big fan of big data, but within the right sequence.
0: Okay, so allow me to press you on this a little further. In your example of Lego, you refer to, and I quote, as the Lego team methodically sifted through the data, key insights began to emerge. Among them was that children play to escape their overly orchestrated lives, dot, dot, dot. And you conclude by saying, this was a game changing insight that conventional strategy processes, market data analytics, co joint analysis, surveys, focus groups, and so on, had missed and probably could never have provided. But here in the case of Lego, it seems like the team relied on data, not just sense making. I'm
1: sure I'm wrong. Why am I? Sense-making involves data. It's just a different kind of data. It's data that is observed in the context. So in this case, I was part of doing that. And uh, all the data pointed in the direction of kids having less and less time to play, having shorter and shorter attention span, and all sort of trend lines point in the direction of more ADHD. So all the products in the Lego company were designed for that. So they were faster to open, faster to play with. And when, then we went out and we looked at kids for a while and, you know, spend some days with kids and figure out what's play like for them and what's important to them and what's meaningful to them. And we found that this myth that uh, kids had shorter attention span and uh, a lot of them had ADHD was simply untrue. They still had a need to learn. They still had a need for complexity and they still had a need for skill in dealing with Lego. So then we started changing the Lego sets so that they became more complex again and more suited for the kind of imagination play that the kids liked. By immersing yourself as a human and trying to understand what's going on with people, you see other things than if you just count how many clicks they use and how many minutes they watch TV.
0: Now, your book is filled with many wonderful examples of how people have applied this sort of sense-making to good effect, One effect is the financier, George Soros, who was able to bet against the British pound so effectively, not because he was looking at the spreadsheets, but because he married the spreadsheets with what he knew about human personalities and interactions. How can someone become good at sense-making?
1: I think there are many ways, and one of the ways is to engage with the humanities. That's one of the reasons why someone like George Soros and his team are as good as they are. So they say, we don't bet on the event of something. They bet on the reactions to the reactions of the event. And those sort of cascading reactions based on an event are deeply human. They're filled of fear and greed and all kinds of other things and have human patterns to them. And that's what they are thinking about. So they immerse themselves in the market. They try to understand what the politicians would do, what a normal trader would do and so on. And they bet on human behavior. Dealing with history, dealing with art, dealing with music m- gives you a place to train your innate abilities to understand others. And that's the same you have to do when you need to understand a 17-year-old girl buying a mobile phone in Indonesia.
0: Christian, let me challenge you a little bit more in an area of the book where there's a thread running all throughout it, and it seems like it's lacking balance. You complain that Silicon Valley is sort of axiomatically bad, and you are extremely concerned that big data is misleading. But I wonder... When you speak now, you seem a lot more measured and balanced, as if you can accept that these are useful, but it's not the full story. Are you anti-big data, or do you just see it as useful in certain contexts and not in others?
1: I am afraid of the totalizing effect of having machines think for us through data. I spend a lot of time in technology companies, and... uh, ideology coming out of Silicon Valley uh, right now is if we have enough data and we have machine learning and deep learning, we don't have to think anymore because the machines will think for us. And by the way, they're way better than us. And I find that highly problematic. And that's why I guess the book has a tone of controversy and aggression, uh, because I'm deeply worried that we will think again that computers can take the risk out of the financial markets, that computers are way better than doctors to look at our skin and see if we have skin cancer and so on. I'm very concerned with the idea that machines are going to gracefully think for us and we will just be stopping cultivating our innate ability to understand each other and to understand problems.
0: A critique of what you've just said is that that was a caricature of Silicon Valley, and perhaps it's only the Silicon Valley people whom you spoke to, and that there's others who are more responsible with this technology who don't think that the machines are going to take over, that, in fact, you failed to apply sense-making well enough because you've only dealt with a small circle of people when, in fact, there's researchers in London and in Bangalore and elsewhere who are not trying to apply machine learning and AI to ad tech, but actually applying it to healthcare and other things where there, there's a much more
1: measured response. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. I was at a, at a session with 45 of the most famous social scientists of America, and I was the only one that didn't think that you could make machine models for everything. That was kind of scary. When you see some of the quotes coming out of Silicon Valley, you see some of the things that they say in Silicon Valley, they say, don't even bother going into the humanities or even studying at all. If you see what's happening in uh, Washington right now, where they are cutting out the National Endowment of the Arts and the tiny funding that goes into the humanities, I think people should be worried.
0: Okay, so as our Martin Luther, someone who works with companies, but who wants to have a more measured approach and create a reformation, How would you retrain MBAs? How would you interject the humanities into business?
1: I would say get out of your office. The executives that I work with, they're so far away from reality as it's lived among their customers. If you are an auto exec, you haven't bought a car since you entered that company. You haven't filled up that car with petrol. And you will understand that by being with people that makes you know $30,000 a year, they suddenly understand that people are on a budget when they buy a car. They understand that they don't use all the technology. They don't know how to. It's not even on the radar when they're using the vehicles. And they can suddenly see that they have other priorities than just the engineering focus. And there are lots of things you can do with that. There are lots of ways to make money on it. There are lots of ways to take out cost by visiting reality for a change. For a moment, once in a while, look at the world, absorb what you see, rather than pass judgment really fast.
0: Thank you very much, Christian. It's been a really interesting conversation. I appreciate you coming.
1: Thank you so much. Take care. That's
0: all for this week's The Economist Asks. We'll be back next Thursday. In the meantime, look out for our continuing coverage of the British general election on the week ahead, which will be out tomorrow with another dose of first-past-the-post-truth. And let us know your thoughts on big data, how it's being helpful or how it hasn't. On Twitter, we're at Economist Radio, or you can send us an email at radio at In London, this